Well, I want to welcome you to the First Church Podcast. Today, I am going to talk with a Christian teacher about being a, a teacher who's a Christian, a Christian who is a teacher, probably is a better way to say it. Uh, perhaps we might talk a little bit about leadership, education, teen mental health, and whether or not we're going to have school this year. <laughs> Maybe some more. We, I thought this would be a good topic since uh, schools are all up in the air and are, are the, all the buzz right now. And I want to welcome uh, with me Mark Horner. He is a, a good friend of mine and somebody I deeply respect. Uh, his Twitter handle says that he is a teacher, husband, father, Christ follower, 2017 Talmadge High School Teacher of the Year, and 2018 Summit County Teacher of the Year, and uh, a Teach Better Ambassador. Um, this guy is, is awesome, and uh, I consider him somebody that I look up to and, and deeply respect and enjoy having conversations with. So I hope that if you're listening, um, that you'll just enjoy our time uh, together this, uh, whenever you listen to this thing. It's a <laughs> podcast. So, uh, Mark, go ahead and, and tell me maybe a little bit about yourself. What did I miss? Well, man, you about covered it all there. Uh, do I call on this? Do I call you Josh, Pastor Josh, Reverend Josh, Josh. Josh Bishop, yeah. Bishop, Bishop Dieter? Yeah, Bishop. Definitely not Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but man, thanks for that introduction. That was uh, that was one heck of an introduction. Um, you know what? I I've been married. I tell you what, we just celebrated our twenty first wedding anniversary, my wife and I, just a couple days ago, and. Um, I've been married to my best friend for 21. We dated for six years, so I've known her for more than half of my life. Uh, and that is one, that's probably uh, point number one that I am most proud of, that I have a best friend who puts up with me. And then I, you know, and then I have two kids. My son Noah is 14. He's entering his freshman year in either real or virtual high school. And my daughter is entering her senior year in either real or virtual high school, both here in Talmadge. So we are proud Talmadge residents. Yeah, well, um, yeah, your wife is awesome. Jen is awesome. She is a guidance counselor, correct? Absolutely. Yep, she is at Coventry High School. Yeah, so, um, you know, you have a perspective of, of somebody who lives or lives with a guidance counselor as well. Um, so I'm sure some of that will maybe play into maybe some of our conversation today. So, oh, yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we were hoping to start school back or thinking about uh, starting school back. We're not real sure here in Talmadge. There's a school board meeting here tonight. Uh, I know that you enjoy being a school teacher. It shows by uh, the work that you put into it. Obviously, you've been Teacher of the Year both in your school and in the county, which is, is pretty awesome. So you take it really seriously. Uh, but what is also true about you and maybe even more true from what I can see is that you take your faith really seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as a pastor... Um, somebody who is a pastor of a lot of, we have a decent amount of school teachers in our church. Um, I'm friends with a, a good ba- amount of teachers. And uh, so it's just always great to see uh, our public school teachers that um, are in the classroom. They're with students and they're taking their faith seriously. And I, I think a lot of people, right, when they look at our public schools or whatever, they, mm. they just think like, oh, no. Mm. Um, and I, I forget what I was reading. I don't know. It might have been... Uh, I forget what book I was reading, um, but I think it said like I don't know what percentage of school teachers are are Christians, um, and it was a pretty high percentage and in the public school. Mm-hmm. So basically, the point of the book was that uh, your students or your children are being influenced, and they do have access mm-hmm. to other Christians um, in the public schools or in the school systems uh, if this stat is true, mm-hmm. and. Um, with somebody like you, they don't just have access, but like, for the most part, students know. I think what you believe, or who you worship, or who you follow. And so, um, last week I talked to Alan Vanderink. He's a, he's a coach, and just talked about how his faith influences his coaching. Mm-hmm. How does your faith influencing the way that you uh, you are as an educator or teacher? Alan was probably a great guest, man. I, I love Alan, and I love the ministry that he has. And you talk about somebody who is changing lives, just impacting young men and young women on a daily basis. Uh, it's hard to follow up somebody like that, uh, such a quality individual. Um, I'll tell you, I, I think when it comes to my faith and my profession, and I want to say profession, I'm emphasizing that right now, um, I don't really actually look at it like it is a profession. Because of my faith— it's a calling. 
I believe what I'm doing to be a calling. It's my mission field to be there. Did I start out that way? No, uh, because my walk with Christ, it's been an adventure, and I've had valleys and I've had peaks, and I've had to reach a point where I rededicated my life many years ago to Christ and say, hey, man, I'm committing everything to you, Jesus. Uh, Use me. Uh, And at that point, the profession became a calling. And uh, in the classroom, I'm able to demonstrate Christ's love in in all that I do. And, um, you know, I don't have to get up there and proselytize, right? You know, because, of course, in a public school, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, But by simply living out what I believe and what I read and what I meditate on every morning when I'm winning the morning and I'm spending time in the Word and I'm, I'm praying and I'm reflecting on what, what Jesus has called me to be, uh, all of that just kind of, it just leaks out in, in everything that I do. That's my prayer. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to live Jesus uh, every day. I think it was, um, oh man, the early church father, you know, I think it was Augustine maybe who said, you know, preach the gospel daily and... and uh, and uh, what is it? Preach the gospel daily, and if you have to, use words. Yeah. So right? I, it, it's uh, um, typically it was attributed to uh, um, Francis of Assisi, that, but Francis. there's there's really no evidence that he actually said that. I mean, he was that kind of person. Don't yeah. Be wrong. But yeah, so that's who it's attributed to. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. but you know, and then that's what I try to do. Uh-huh. I just try to live Jesus and yeah. um, and just love kids. I mean, that's uh-huh. that's really that's really what I want to do. Is, is just love kids yeah. on a daily basis. How do you do that? Like, how do you, how do you love on your kids? How do you love on your students? Well, back in the old days, you know, pre-COVID, <laughs> when, uh-huh. when you know, the old days in the classroom, yeah. um, I, and I'm still trying to figure out how we're going to do this here in this new era of teaching. You know, we're trailblazers right now heading into this new era. But I just, I establish relationships with them. Uh, I try to find common ground. Uh, I try to stay relevant with a lot of things, you know, whether it's social media, you know, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, things like that. Uh, Some things that I may not 100% agree with, but at least I know I'm speaking their language when I'm familiar with it. Or if I throw a goofy TikTok out there and the kids see me, this, you know, 48-year-old teacher who can't dance and certainly has no rhythm, but at least he's trying, you know, it makes a connection to him. Is TikTok still around? Like, has it been canceled yet? I don't know if it's been canceled. I haven't looked at my TikTok talk right. in a while yeah. and i haven't heard my daughter screaming and crying that it's been taken away okay. so i'm i think the microsoft deal is still being negotiated right, or something yeah. but but you know maintaining relevance taking time to listen and just talking to kids uh, and letting them know that i'm there for them i mean even simple gestures which i've got to figure out how to do this but uh i met i just met with a young man uh for coffee and one of the reasons we have coffee together is because back when i had him he would come into my room and have coffee with me, right? And I would have a snack there, and then we'd sit there and shoot the breeze, and we would talk about anything and everything. Uh, and then he took my class, and, and, you know, he worked really, really hard in the class and did really, really well. Uh, but, you know, I established this relationship, and here it is, a couple years after he's graduated, we're still continuing that relationship. Uh, and it's because I want the kids to know that I care about them yeah. and that I love them and that I have – an open door policy, mm-hmm. little history phrase there for yeah. you as a history teacher, yeah. but I have this open door policy that you can come into my room in real life or even virtually now, you know, shoot me a Google Meet message and say, hey, let's meet up on Google Meet so we can talk and, uh, and, and uh, you know, just let them know that I'm there for them and I'm their advocate. Uh, and as a result, I think the love of Christ shines through. Yeah. And I've had, you know, kids, you know, I'll come back and ask, you know, why, you know, tell me about Jesus or can you pray for me? I don't know if I believe in prayer, but, yeah. you know, can you pray for me? Things like that. Or uh, when kids are going through some really, really difficult times, they're knocking on my door. Yeah. And, it, and it's because of the love of Christ. It's because of the work that he's doing in me that I'm able to, to uh, do a good work in what I'm doing. And, of course, I have my bad days, too. But, you know, yeah. that's my, you know, my why is... My personal why is to establish relationships, influence people, and inspire people. That's good. That's my why. And all three of those find their roots in Scripture. Have you read Simon Sinek's Why? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I love him. Yeah, he's, he's good. He's good. That, so what's your why again? Uh, establish relationships, inspire people, 
and influence people. Establish relationships, inspire people, and influence people. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I seek first to get to know the kids. And, and so I'll do a lot of things in the classroom where I just have the kids sit around um, and I just ask them questions. And I just ask them, you know, what are you passionate about? What drives you? Uh, I know you got to be in here, and it, and it kind of stinks to be in class at seven twenty in the morning. But we've got to be here because if not, you know, you're going to get arrested or whatever. So, yeah. so if we're here, we might, and we got to live together for our 180 days, let's get to know each other. Yeah. And we talk, and I establish that relationship. And then after establishing that relationship, um, I can influence them to become the best student they can possibly become. And then what I tell them all the time in class is I want you to become the best version of yourself. Mm. You know, so whether I'm teaching advanced placement U.S. history or if I'm teaching psychology, no matter what, I'm introducing lifelong practices and disciplines that will help them become the best version. So we talk about win in the morning every day. Yeah. You know, I have an inspirational quote every day. We work on our one word uh, and we talk about it and I reference it um, no matter what class you're in. And then we just talk about the academic practices they need to be the most successful student yeah. they can possibly be, whether they go on to you know college or whether they're employed or they're enlisted. Uh, but that's that's the you know the influence part, and then the the inspiring aspect of it is uh, that pursuit, that constant pursuit of bettering themselves. When they walk out of the room then they continue those things. And I'll tell you, the bonus check for me is whenever, like the young man, Mike, I just met with, when I hear from him that he's still listening to a podcast I recommended on a daily basis, or if I talk to somebody and they send me a, a, they tweet at me or they send me a message and say, Hey, Mr. Horner, I won the morning this morning, uh, or, or something like that. Those, those are bonus checks. But though, here's what's amazing about it. Uh, Josh is that every one of those practices are rooted in scripture. Yeah. You know, Jesus spent time early in the morning with his father. Mm -hmm. He won the morning every single day. He inspired 12 men who radically changed the entire world, right? And he influenced people on a constant basis. And uh, I'm I'm like, man, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. That's my why right there. Yeah, hey, that's awesome. That was, if people should listen to this just for that, that's that's really good. You know, you're teaching kids life skills, man. Yeah. Um, And I think that's, that's a, I think that's a big criticism for, uh, uh, for some people about the public school system or the education system in general, yeah. right, is that you, you know, you get all this knowledge and, and you come out of school, whether it be college or high school or whatever, and you have no real life skills. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you need knowledge. Like you, you, you read yeah. the Bible, so get knowledge, get understanding, yeah. get wisdom, all of those sorts of things. Um, but you need to know how to live, yeah. right, yeah. and how to grow. And how to, you said, I think, be the best version of yourself. And we're all trying to do that and yeah. messing that up every day yeah. um, to a certain extent. But those, uh, just the principle of getting up and, and, and winning the morning, man, yeah. that's huge. Well, you know, you kind of alluded to one of my most favorite verses, and uh, I can't remember exactly where it's found in Proverbs, because you know I'm a big Proverbs guy. Yeah. Every day yeah. I wake up and I read my Proverbs yeah. of the yeah. day, uh, and one of them says this. I'm not ex- I think it might be Proverbs chapter 7, maybe verse 14, somewhere around there. But the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and above all else, get insight. Yeah. You know, and I talk to my kids about that all the time. It's like, listen, as, as a 48-year-old man, I've got people uh, that are above me, that I'm seeking insight from all the time and I'm seeking wisdom from. And the moment that I stop seeking that, that's the moment, that's the day I start dying. Mm. That's, that's where, you know, life comes to a screeching halt and I am nowhere near as effective and no more. Uh, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not a spiritual light. I'm yeah. not a light for Christ. If I stop pursuing wisdom in God's word, as well as from those who are above me. Uh, but that's what I try to tell them. I mean, listen, there's no shame in not knowing. You got to ask, you got to seek. And that's one of the greatest life qualities you can walk away from school having is that your willingness to humble yourself and say, I don't know. Give me some insight. Let me pursue wisdom and uh, let me question things. Yeah. Let me think critically about things and then uh, and then pursue life. I think that's so good. I I tell people all the time, um, or at least this is how I, I view my undergrad experience is that it taught me how to think, hmm. right? It taught me how to learn. 
um, some of the things that taught me, like I look back and like, I'm not sure that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I, I don't agree. I don't think the way I was even taught to think sometimes by some of my professors or whatever. Mm-hmm. But one of the things they they forced me to do was to teach me how to think. Yep. Like to teach me how to read, not read the words on the page, mm-hmm. but to read critically. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this author is saying this or, or whatever. Do, is that what I believe? Um, and if, if it's not and they're saying something different, like why are they saying that? Mm-hmm. Are they right? Am I right? Am I, you know, trying to figure that, yeah. those sorts of things out. And I think learning that, y- the younger the better. Oh, for um, sure. And so like teachers like you and, and others who are teaching people how to think yeah. and um, how, to, how to even structure their lives in a way mm-hmm. that they're learning how to think, mm-hmm. um, I think is – it's just awesome. Well, you know, and that's the one thing, well, not the one thing, but that's one of the qualities about this generation of learners that I love and I respect so much is that they do question, mm-hmm. you know, and then they come to you and oftentimes they're not seeking the answer. They're asking you, Stephen Covey said, look, uh-huh. seek first to understand and then to be understood. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where our kids are yeah. today. They they want to be understood because, and and now more than ever, their life is in a constant whirlwind, and they are hurting, and they're bombarded uh, constantly by negativity. And so when they come into the classroom, that teacher, you can separate the spirituality out of it, but that teacher has a moral obligation to be a light. I'm not necessarily saying reflecting Christ, but they yeah. have to be a beacon of positivity in that classroom because you will spend more time with that kid than they'll spend with their parents. And so you, you have that moral obligation to, you know, welcome them, to embrace what they're questioning, and then encourage them appropriately. Not try to open up their brain and just dump stuff in there, but to challenge them uh, in appropriate ways to, to seek truth. Yeah. Uh, now, it's even more important for me because that's my spiritual obligation as a mm-hmm. Christ follower. Absolutely, I have to love every single kid who sits in front of me. Uh, and at the beginning of my career, it was this, I have to love, I have to love. Now it's, I get to love. Yeah. You know, I've been in the game a long Uh time and it's taken me a long time Uh to get from there to here. And now it's like, man, I get to love. And I look Uh at every kid as an opportunity, uh, an opportunity to just love them. Yeah. Love them like they've never been loved before. Uh, not to replace their parents or grandparents Uh or whomever it is that's raising them, but to walk alongside them. And, and, and to love them for the 18 weeks or 36 weeks that I get to have them in class, you know. So it depends on which class they're taking. So, so, so. pastors need to hear that, man. Um, you get to love them. Yeah. You know, I think so many even like pastors, you know, when they're starting out or just in general, they do think about like the people in the church. These are the people that I have to love. Mm-hmm. And I do think as, as people go along in ministry and they realize their own faults uh, and um, own uh, – uh, uh, inability to do ministry the way that they would like or whatever, and they start to see their people as people that God has given them to love. Mm-hmm. Like these are people that I get to love. Yep. And uh, yeah, I hate being around pastors that all they do is complain about the people in their church. But yeah. I guess uh, teachers, I'm sure, are the same way sometimes. Mm-hmm. And and don't yeah. get me wrong, like there are, there are students who you probably don't want to be around, or other teachers yeah. that you don't want to be around, just as pastors have people in in the church that like. That person is really hard to love, mm-hmm. but I get to I get to love them. Yeah, well, I think you know adults are just further extensions of kids, right? Yeah. They're just they're yeah. just big kids. <laughs> you, uh, unfortunately, you find that out when you become an adult. Like, uh, like yeah, I, I went to school with that guy, and yeah, he's yep. he's, he's just a n- big version of when he was ten. You exactly. Know? Like, yeah. Well, and, uh, and I think when we, you know in the classroom. What we always have to be aware of is that behind there's there's a reason behind every behavior that you see, and you can never hold the behavior against the person. You you hold the experience, the past negative or positive experience against the person, but you've got to look past that behavior, and and then move on to what are ways that you can you know impact that life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when I first started teaching. Well, like this goes all the way back to. Um, when I student taught and there's a, a, a local legend around here, his name's Dick Fox and he taught eighth grade American history. He actually uh, went to Ohio state and, uh, um, and did some football down there as well. And, but this guy is one of the most influential people in my life. He, for that period of time that I student taught, he poured into me, uh, and there isn't a single day 
where I don't find myself thinking or quoting this guy. And hopefully he listens to this maybe someday, and I will just give you like a public uh, thank you for so. And I've failed in reaching out to him. So thank you, Mr. Fox, for all that you've done for me. But I remember one time we were sitting there, and he goes, Mark, the two most uh, most important times of the day to be aware of, early morning and right before you, the kids leave. He goes, because you're going to see your worst behavior in the morning, and you'll see your worst behavior at night. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, you've got kids who are going to come into your classroom who are coming out of the worst possible environment they could ever have been in. They're not even, you know, some of them are going to be beaten. Some of them are going to be verbally uh, abused, sexually abused. Uh, they're not going to have a meal. They're not going to know what the day is going to be like. They're just trying to get to school to survive. And then they'll calm down and they'll go throughout the day. But then at the end of the day, as they amp themselves back up to go back into this environment where they're not sure they're going to survive the night, you know, the blood pressure starts flowing, the adrenaline, yeah. the fight or flight, and they're getting scared and worked up. So expect your worst behaviors when the school starts and when the school ends because that's that's what they're getting ready. They're coming from, and that's what they're getting ready to go to. And I, I never forgot that because, yeah. you know, kids are dealing with things that I have no idea. And, and every kid, no matter what the issue is, whether it's issues of poverty, equity, or whether it's, man, my Xbox died or my yeah. parents are fighting, whatever – to each kid, that's a big deal, mm-hmm. you know. And in order for me to be a true light in the classroom and to demonstrate Jesus' love, I got to know what's going on in their life. I have to invest the time to know with this kid right here, it's his Xbox. It's his only form of entertainment. It's, you know, and, and he's having these visions of a full-ride scholarship to play Fortnite. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it crashes and they don't have a couple hundred bucks to buy one. Yeah. Well, that's his world. Yeah. And that's the most important thing to him. And I have to honor him and I have to listen, even if I don't have a clue what's going on, but I got to love on him. And then I got to be the exact same with the kid here who might, you know, and I say this in quotes, like need that attention more because, you know, somebody passed away or, or mom left the night before or mm-hmm. uh, dad's dealing with alcoholism or something. I have to show value to the issue no matter what, because Jesus sat down with uh the rich young ruler and he sat down with the woman at the well yeah. and he said and and he honored the prostitute who knelt before him in tears and and confessed right uh so and that's uh, i'm going off on a little tangent here no, getting me all good. excited talking yeah. about this but yeah. i mean that that's what it is man that's what that's what fuels my fire to get in there and to just love the kids so and that's awesome so what are what are the biggest problems right now you see like the average teen facing um uh yeah i mean i think most people especially if they don't have a teenager or or whatever um people and generations are changing so quickly mm-hmm. i mean we're, we're we're still people right we're still the same that's why uh the bible's still relevant i mean mm-hmm. people really haven't changed but what we have access to are some of our biggest problems yeah. to a certain extent are caused by different things than they used to be caused by um, and so we're in this constant world of change, of flux, and all those sorts of things, um, and even trying to understand different generations mm-hmm. and so forth. What do you see, uh, you know, and you've got kids right now that are that age, so especially teenage years, um, what do you see probably the, the biggest problems or struggles that some of our young people are having? Hmm. That's a great question, and I'm going to throw a few things out, not in order of of importance, but I think they all kind of lead back to one, one issue. Uh, the first word that came to my mind, the first issue that I thought about was this issue of escapism, um, and kind of getting lost, you know, whether it is, and I'm not dogging video games. I, I love esports. I think it's a, it's awesome. And, you know, I talked to my son about games and, and, uh, and gaming and, and all of this and his friends. Uh, but it's a form of escape for a lot of kids and then you also look at like social media and other things that they can they can do to kind of disconnect from reality, you know, whatever the reality may be. And at the same time, running congruent to that is this issue of comparison. And so they're constantly comparing themselves to somebody else uh, that and, you know, we, you, a few minutes ago, you mentioned like kind of mental mindset when it comes to coaching. One of the things that I talk to my players and I talk to all my students about this, uh, but it is this understanding that when you hop on social media and you see where somebody's at, 
what you're not seeing are the hours and hours and hours where they've had to grind it out in the hours and hours and many, many moments of failure that they've experienced to get to where they're at. So you don't want to compare yourself because as soon as you start comparing yourself to where they're at, then that's when you start to feel really, really inadequate. You know, so you're trying to escape and then you're comparing. And then how do you temper those two things when you realize you can't succeed? Well, then that suddenly opens up all kinds of things, you know, whether you're, you're Snapchatting chatting somebody that you don't know and you're engaging in inappropriate conversations just because it's filling that void and, and you know, they're, they're making you feel important or whether you, you attend a party and, you know, we, we do have issues that we have, you know, a lot of you know, drugs and alcohol issues here. They're everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, but those are being used to temper a lot of those inadequacies that are felt when you're, you know, you're escaping from whatever your reality is and how harsh it may be or how uh, disjointed it might be. And then you're comparing. Um, and we all do it. If I'm not aware and, and if I don't, uh, if I don't win the morning, mm-hmm. honestly, uh, Dennis Rainey, um, the uh, family, uh, family life, president, former president yeah. of family life, one of his quotes that has always just really stuck with me is this a tired man is a weak man. And if I don't take care of myself physically and if I'm not sleeping the right way, and if I don't get up and win the morning as a 48 year old man, an adult who's been in the faith and had a relationship with Christ for 30 plus years. If I don't do that, I start to let my guard down. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking and saying and doing things that I know don't honor Christ. And then that snowball effect takes place. Mm-hmm. Now, think about a 16- or 17-year-old kid who doesn't have a firm foundation in his faith. And he does something that makes him feel poorly about himself. The snowball effect starts taking place in his life. And before you know it, he's participating. He or she might be participating in things that they never thought they would, mm-hmm. but they are. You know, all these things are interconnected. So that kind of digital citizenship type thing is really big in school as well. Just trying to talk about it from just not even a a spiritual aspect, but just saying, hey, be very careful uh, because our brains, as we speak, because of this, are changing in literal form and shape. And parts of our brain that have never been used before are being used and parts that had been used are not being used. Yeah, and so just the neurological aspect of it, and that, and uh, you know, the science of habit formation and all of that stuff, is playing into their their lives. And so it's, um, you know, that's just kind of a hodgepodge of issues. I mean, yeah. they're all interconnected. Yeah, and honestly, as, as people of faith, it boils down to the fact that um, people need Jesus, mm-hmm. right? They need to have yeah. that relationship. They need that solid rock, and then they need to invest time in it. Um, and and build up that relationship so that they have the spiritual muscles you know i tell my kids all the time i'm like my personal kids mm-hmm. i mean let's let's pump those muscles full of spiritual uh steroids right now yeah. you know let's memorize yeah. that verse or whatever so that you're able to withstand the storm but yeah that's um, good i um you know you got me thinking about i guess comparison and even just social media uh you know i share this a little bit with the congregation every once in a while um and just think about myself, like I have a strong inner critic, and so I'm very critical mm-hmm. of myself. And so, like in high school, for instance, like I would struggle. I was a Christian, but uh, you know, often as it is in high school, right? A Christian means you do this, don't do that, all those sorts of things. And of course, you love Jesus, trust in Jesus. Um, but I wouldn't say like I was real good with understanding like God's grace. And so, like every little thing that mm-hmm. I did that I thought was wrong or could have been wrong, yeah. like I went home and would just criticize. Like I had this, you know, yeah. had trouble sleeping to that, you know. Uh, that's how bad it was yep. at different times in my life. And so, you know, I think about like, okay, what if social media would have been around? Um, and mm-hmm. some of the things I said <laughs> or did, I knew were going to last forever. And you got to watch it over and over. And I got to watch it over and over again. Like, what would that have done to me? Yeah. Um, and the, the answer to that is, I don't know. I mean, even now, like, I'm pretty careful for the most part of what I put on social media or conversations I get into because – you know, like I put something the other day, and I'm like, you know, it's as nice as positive, and I'm thinking, I'm not really sure even that's what that text meant. But, you know, mm-hmm. I put that up there, and so, like, it bothers me. Like, I don't want to take it down, right. but it bothers me because I'm like, I'm not exactly sure I was right about that. Mm-hmm. Like, Josh, you shouldn't be, you know, posting things. Well, I get that, that yeah. yeah. like, and, like, are people going to criticize yeah. me because I took that a little bit out of context? Yeah. Not that what I said wasn't true. It's just that wasn't the best verse to put with it, yep. you know? Um, and... uh 
so like now uh, I'm trying to get to the point where um, I'm less critical of myself and just saying, okay, like, yeah, I messed up. God's grace is there. It's better to be courageous and do some of these things and get it wrong every once in a while Mm -hmm. than to not. Um, But I have to like coach myself and that and have to tell myself like, you know, this, this is what I think God would want for me. And like, God is okay for like his grace is sufficient. All of those are saying, all that to say is, um, yeah, the what teenagers deal with now um i didn't have to deal with then and i think a lot of people don't probably stop to think like their challenges mm-hmm. are much different no uh, they're mm-hmm. and we shouldn't i don't know when you talk about even escapism and uh into our devices i mean most adults mm-hmm. are doing it now right mm-hmm. i mean you know, we've got our phones on us all the time. We're ignoring our kids, yeah. our, our friends that are right in front of us. Uh, yeah. You know, it'd be just as easy. I, I've got a computer in front of me, but it's there's nothing like distracting yeah. me besides sound bars and potential questions to ask you. Yeah. But it'd be nothing. Nobody would think anything of it if yeah. I were holding my cell phone up right now right. and talking to you and reading from my cell phone. Yeah. Uh, yep. And so, like, what kind of relationship is that? Well, really? yeah, and what's going to be interesting now uh-huh. with going – back to the classroom wearing masks and things like that uh i think we're going to see a switch back to the old school communication styles where you got to look in the eye and you got to be able to read micro expressions and kind of retraining people because you're right i mean nobody thinks anything of it now uh the inner critic thing i i I get it man i get that that that's me to a t um and I just sit here as you're as you're talking. I'm thinking about back through my life in high school and in college. And, and I'll be honest with you, that's one of the reasons why I fell away from the Lord mm-hmm. because of that inner critic. And I couldn't extend myself. Uh, I couldn't grasp God's grace, and I mm-hmm. couldn't extend myself any grace. Yeah. I failed once. Then I thought, well, what's to prevent me from failing again? And then I failed again, and I got further and further and further away. But there still was that still small voice always pulling me back, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I remember when I finally said, you know what, enough of this running, enough of it. Uh, and that's when I, you know, I was always kind of that moral, that ethical guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I always did things a little bit differently, you know, um, and I, and I, even as a teacher, when I was kind of one foot in the world, one foot out of the world, when I first began, uh, 22 years ago, um, you know, I still tried to do things the right way and teach the good moral ethical. But then, you know, I made choices that I knew would pull me further from Christ. And then when I finally recommitted my life uh, and embraced grace, um, it just flipped things. But it's a constant battle. And I think your self-awareness of it and my self-awareness of it is what helps us continue to grow. You know, we know, we recognize it. uh, But it also allows me to teach it in a classroom. Like I, I teach grace Maybe not from a biblical perspective, but we talk about it all the time about how, listen, you've got to forgive yourself. Uh, One of my, uh, well, you know, you mentioned I'm a Teach Better ambassador. Yeah. uh, The Teach Better uh, team. And I'm so lucky to be a part of that. But there, this, there's this group, and there are the, the Teach Better team, the guys, uh, the men and women who started it. Uh, one of their philosophies is this fail stands for first attempt in learning. You know, so that's what I talk to my kids about all that's the time. Good. Like, you're going to fail. You'll fail in life. You'll fail in class. You'll fail on and off the court, you know, whatever. But as long as you, you take your, your journal or whatever, you reflect uh, and, and you learn from it, then you can become a better person as a result. And then we talk about what does it mean to forgive yourself? Because making mistakes, it's a lifelong thing. Yeah. It's, it's going to, it'll be with us forever. But as long as you learn from it. Uh, but then the nice thing is you talk about grace. Like I got a situation. I got a young man who's been coming to church quite often uh, recently. Um, and in the class, we talked about grace. And now he's coming to church. And now I get to talk about capital G grace. Mm. Right. And yeah. um, it's just a further extension of our relationship. And um, and it's it's a beautiful thing. But, man, the inner critic, man, it's a very real. It's it, how some people survive without a spiritual foundation. Dealing with yeah. the inner critic is, it's beyond me. Yeah, I, I don't know either. Um, because it's not just like Christians are the only people wired that way, right? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> so, <laughs> we all, you know, yeah. we're, we're different people are wired yeah. that way. Um, and, yeah, without God's grace or at some point coming to terms with it. Like, I, yeah, I don't know how you live with yourself. And a lot of people don't, right? They, yeah. Like you said, they escape. They escape. Like, it would be technology, alcohol, yeah. um, or just give up. 
Yeah. Right. So it could be sex, drugs, whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I could see how easy that could be and um, how our, our teens deal with that. I mean, everybody deals with that sort of thing. Um, and so, but it's, it's, it's good to think about those things as people in the church and as Christians. Like, mm-hmm. okay, what, what are they dealing, teens dealing with and why are they dealing with it? Yeah. Uh, and to think back in your own struggles, uh, it's really easy to, it's really easy to judge teenagers mm-hmm. and, and even kids or whatever and forget, like, oh, yeah, yeah. I was kind of like that. Or e- even if you weren't, like, I had friends that were like that. Yeah. Right? Like, I love them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. Well, I just, I think yeah. about, uh-huh. I think about, you know, when Kelsey entered this world, you know, she's 17, yeah. and I remember uh, my wife and I, our conversation after that, um, my wife was like, no way, we're not having another kid. Never, ever, ever. And then a couple of years goes by, and she kind of forgot about how miserable those nine months yeah. were and all the heartburn yeah. and, you know, all this yeah. other stuff. And we had another kid, you know, and it's it's kind of like adults and teenagers. You know, you do. you sep- The further separated you are from being 16 or 17, uh, the the more you forget what yeah. would happen. And, and, um, and I, I like to remind them, there's a, um, there's a band, and they sound far worse than what their name is. Uh, but when I was in college, this band was called Fury in the Slaughterhouse. And I, I don't remember if it was the name of the song or just one of the lyrics, but it, it's always stuck with me. But it, it, the lyric was this, every generation has its own disease, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's a tendency for people to look at this generation and say, oh, my gosh, we've never seen anything like this. And these kids, oh, they're so sinful and they're so decrepit and there's all this other stuff that's going on. Uh, no, wait a second. When you were their age... It was equally bad, and your parents were equally disturbed by your behavior. Yeah. So I would encourage anyone who's listening to this to not look at our teenagers and think, um, you know, that they're kind of going to hell in a handbasket and there's no hope. Uh, I would I would flip that and say, you know what, here is a courageous generation who they do question things and they do want to see truth mm-hmm. and they want to pursue it. And now we have an opportunity. The those the older folks have an opportunity to walk alongside and mentor and to teach, but also to be taught. Yeah, you know, I walk out of the classroom being taught by my kids all the time. You know, just uh, Brene Brown says it perfect. You know, embrace the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Just make yourself vulnerable and look at a seventeen-year-old kid and say, "Listen, I don't have all my ducks in a row. I don't have an answer to every question. Let's let's find it together. Let's walk yeah. together. You know, let's help yeah. each other." Yeah. Just then, show, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, just to show some humility. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I don't think adults should just give up their experience and the knowledge that they have and be beholden to a 16-year-old's experience or, yeah. or knowledge right. of life, right? <laughs> right. But to be humble enough to go, okay, like, uh, yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah. Let me try to understand that. Because maybe a 16-year-old now with YouTube and podcasts, like everything, they have – they actually have access oh, to a yeah. lot of information yeah. without ever even picking up a book, just yeah. like we do. Um, and so, well, maybe they do have a point or whatever. So, what are they? What are they talking about? Or at least help them to process it. Yeah. If you think they're wrong, yep. right? Help help yeah. them to process it, asking the right questions and all those sorts of things. Um, one of the things I was thinking about, and I try to teach my church this occasionally. I've said it a few times during messages and stuff. Um, and you're a history teacher and psychology teacher. Um, so maybe you've, you've taught this before, gotten people to think about this before. We're really good at looking at past generations and vilifying them Mm -hmm. and saying, you know what? Like if, if that would have been me, I would have been the person who did this. Like, so, right. If, if I would have lived in Germany in the 1930s, 35 through 40, like there's no way, you know, through 45 when the war ended, but there's no way that I would have been a Nazi. Yeah. Like, no, you would have been a Nazi. Like, yeah. odds are. Odds are. You would have been a Nazi. Yeah. Like, or if I lived in the South, uh, pre-Civil War, um, you probably wouldn't have been a slaveholder because only, right, the wealthy pretty much right. slaves. Yeah. But you would have been a staunch racist. Yeah. Like, even if you lived in the North, you may or may not have liked ra- or, or slavery, mm-hmm. chattel slavery, but you would have been a racist. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and so I think we have a, bad and maybe i'm going off track here um we have an impulse to make ourselves out to be a lot better than we actually were whether it be in high school middle school 
whatever. And yeah. we forget that these kids are struggling with the same things. Mm-hmm. They're making some of the same decisions that, yep. that we made and so forth. Not that we should be celebratory of them or even turn a blind eye right. to some of them, but to be humble enough and to show enough grace to walk beside them yeah. and just to remember, like, yeah. yeah, I made some mistakes too, or, um, you know, I wasn't exactly who I wanted to be at that right. time as well. Um, I don't know. It just shows, show, our, our, I think our culture is lacking a little bit of humility and grace mm-hmm. right now um, and in general. Um, and being able to teach that to younger people oh, yeah. I think is really important. Well, you know, and it, it demonstrates our bent towards sin mm. and, yeah. it, you know, and our desire to compare ourselves. Mm-hmm. Again, there, it's the comparison thing. Well, I never would have. Uh, but at the same time, you know, 30 years from now, people will look back at this period of time and they'll look and analyze adults and, you know, teenage and, and, and behavior. They'll look at the behavior and they'll see. Uh, they'll start to say that, well, if I lived back then, there's no way I would have been that addicted to that smartphone or I would have not been, you know, been that addicted to social media or something like that and made those decisions or made those posts or, you know, hopped on a, you know, uh, a chat room and flexed my typing muscles, you know, yeah. and act all big and bad and, and be controversial. I would never engage in that behavior. But yeah. now you're right. You're spot on. Our bent towards sin draws us towards what's popular at the time and then that's where the battle and the struggle begins that's where you know when you are like you you know you mentioned the the abolitionist era you know you look at some of your most famous abolitionists uh it's because of their their they clenched the scripture Mm -hmm. right you know out of the second great awakening came some of your most vocal opponents to slavery uh Obviously, we now know through through history and through some of the incredible uh, research that's being done now that that even sometimes your abolitionists didn't have the right motives. Yeah, you know, but but the fact of the matter is, you know, you had people who stood firm in what they believed, and then they practiced the things that we practice. You know, they were winning in the morning, they were spending time in prayer, they were reflecting, they were writing, they were talking, they were ch- you know, they were uh, seeking wisdom and insight, and then as a result, these movements began. And positive change was made. Uh, but that's what it has to be today. You know, as divided as our nation is over so many different issues, mm-hmm. uh, the the response I truly believe that Jesus would want us to have is, all right, let's seek first to understand and then to be understood, mm-hmm. i.e., let's build some relationships. If we build relationships then that and we cast what our vision is, then th- those relationships create buy-in right yeah and then buy-in is what changes the world uh and so that's always kind of been my evangelistic philosophy as well you know just to establish the relationships you know to inspire and you know want to influence yeah well man that's this is all good so um so change kind of move a little bit here just for a few more minutes um you know, so those are all things that you kind of do. Um, uh, just it's just who you are. Like it just flows out of who you are. Flows out of the classroom. Um, all of those sorts of things. Now, you do also sponsor or help lead Fellowship of Christian Athletes mm-hmm. or FCA. So it's a Christian club in the school mm-hmm. as well. So that's something that you do. You know that you're allowed to do. You're obviously a Christian. It shows yeah. that you're a Christian. Um, it you know, broadcast that to other students and so forth when you're a part of this club. Um, what, what is FCA and what do you enjoy most about it? Why, why did you decide to help, help students get this club started or help start the club? So uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, um, it's a ministry that's been around for, um, oh, man, I don't even know how long, a long time. A long time. I, uh, what was that one movie that was out that had uh, Rudy in it? I can't remember what his name is, but uh, – um, the football movie. You remember or not, the Giants? Not remember the Giants, but um, uh, oh my goodness! Then, remember the Titans, and then something. Well, I actually own this yeah. movie at home. Okay, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll have to look, but yeah. anyways, it, I think it's back from the seventies. Okay, so that's uh, and they're talking about FCA and jo- I think um, just. But it's been the ministry itself has been around for a long time, uh, and Rick Bach, an area, uh, a community member, phenomenal uh, guy. When his son came to the high school, he he wanted to start something where his son could kind of be plugged in 
and be a part of a Bible study. So he is kind of the founding father of the FCA huddle. Uh, and then um, Lisa Wilson, who is now Lisa Dunton, uh, took over as the huddle leader after him. Uh, Lisa Wilson is actually the one who sort of introduced you and oh, I. Oh, really? Yeah. If okay. You remember? Yeah, I do remember Miss Wilson. So I was wondering. Yeah, I did. Uh, so I like that name. I didn't realize she got remarried. Well, <laughs> so I'm gonna push pause on my story just to tell this. I gotta tell okay. this story because uh, since your church members are listening, I want them to again appreciate the, the leader that they have in place. Um, when when you guys first moved to the area and you first started pastoring here, you guys went to um, the house of Hunan. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. And, uh, and I'll never forget. I think you guys might have gone on a weekend. And it was Monday morning, and, and Lisa came up and she goes, Mark, I met somebody that you got to meet. And I gave him your number, and you got to meet this guy, Josh Dieter. He's a new pastor. And I'm like, Really? And she goes, Yeah, I met him at House of Hunan. And I said, Well, how, how did you guys meet? She goes, Well, we were all sitting there, and somebody said, Somebody should pray and bless our meal. And none of us knew each other. And this guy raised his hands, I'll pray, I'll pray. And right there, without, <laughs> I remember hesi- that part. without yeah. hesitation, okay, yeah. you boldly said, I'll yeah. pray. Yeah. You know, and you prayed, uh-huh. and then as a result, you connected with her, and then uh-huh. she connected us together, you know, yeah. kind of. So I do remember, so my wife was pregnant at the time. I mean, she was pretty pregnant when we moved here. But she asked him, like, <laughs> she goes, so are you pregnant? And I said, no. <laughs> I remember she looked horrified. She looked horrified. You know, like, oh, that's funny. like I answered before him, like, it answered to uh, mess with her. That um, is funny. That's and, awesome. Uh, so, yeah. But, you know, she she's, uh, she's such a, a phenomenal teacher, and she um, – you know, she was running the huddle, and then she stepped down because of, you know, it takes some time and it takes some commitment, and I, I didn't want to see it dissolve, so I stepped in. And I think that was probably 10, 10 years ago, something like that. I don't, I'd, I'd so, have to go back through and, like, retrace the steps, uh, the years, to figure out when it was that I began. But uh, I took it over just because, for the same reason, honestly, that Rick Bach had, which was I got kids coming through, mm-hmm. and not only do I want them to be involved in leadership, opportunities but i want them to you know i want them to have something that they can come to where they're going to hear uh a testimony and be able to study god's word and so i i I decided to become the huddle leader uh and fell into a group that had some really strong student leadership you know i'm just the teacher sponsor you know i just i i put my name behind it so that they're able to host it at the high school uh and then i just sit back and i watch all these young people just lead and and um and share their faith and and then listen to some incredible guests come through. And then Tristan, our, our leader, um, he, uh, our kind of Summit County director, um, when he came along, I mean, he just took FCA to a whole new level. Yeah. And uh, it's a, a phenomenal ministry. Um, now, we have one at the middle school, and John Gurgley's the huddled mm-hmm. leader there. And we're all kind of wondering what it's going to look like this year. Yeah. You know. Um, so what do you do in FCA? For people who are wondering, like what, like what time does it meet? What do you guys do? Well, at the high school, we meet at six forty-five a.m. six forty-five to seven fifteen a.m. every Friday, and uh, usually what we have is we have you know an icebreaker, and then we have a guest speaker, and then um, and then we dismiss. You know that's usually, but and then occasionally, uh, not so much recently, but in the past we've done a lot of activities. Part of the reason we've gotten away from a lot of organized activities is just simply because kids are just pulled in so many different directions. Yeah. And we have a, a, probably 90% of those kids who attend are athletes, and they're all, you know, they had always been in season. Um, and so, but uh, we would attend concerts or have overnighters or retreats and things of that nature. Uh, and, but um, yeah, usually that's it, you know, half hour Bible study every Friday and then uh, check it. But it's, but what, what's really cool about it is that so many teachers come to it and so many students come to it that at any given moment you're seeing somebody who goes to FCA either in front of the classroom or sitting next to you, and it just gives you a little bit of uh, inspiration and a little bit of courage. Yeah. You know, so it's a great – I mean, it, I, I've had a blast doing it, and um, and I, I love the, the the ministry. It's just an incredible ministry. Yeah, well, you do a really good job with it. Um, you're really good with the students. And Mark is – the best person, one of the best people I've ever been around that after a lesson, like transitioning to the next thing or summing up the lesson without feeling like you're being preached to or getting the lesson again. You were really good at that. <laughs> well, like, thanks. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes like if you're a pastor, especially if you're a guest speaker, somebody, 
you'll you'll preach and then the other pastor gets up and then he almost preaches a second sermon he's like come on man um but you you are really good Um, at just like wrapping things up and it doesn't feel like you're trying to like preach another sermon you're just um, reminding people hey this is what we've heard now remember here are some things that they asked us to do about it you're just really good at that i'm always like man, that was good mark Um, (laughs) i will tell you that's why i always have this notebook with me because uh, I have to write things down or I'll forget them. Yeah. And so I take it everywhere with me. I hope I never leave it anywhere because then people will know way too much about me. So, but, uh, you know, it's like I have to write things down. And, and then when you're writing, you know, you just kind of appreciate so much what's being shared. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. Well, um, maybe just a few more minutes here. How are, how are you, everything's in flux mm-hmm. right now. Talk about how you think like kids are doing mentally, um, emotionally, spiritually, uh, and wondering if they're going to have school, sports, hmm. all of those sorts of things. I think kids are hurting. I think they're hurting big time. Um, so, you know, my daughter's a senior, and every day is an emotional roller coaster uh, because. One day you have one plan, the next day there's this rumor, the next day this happens, the next day this happens. And my daughter is very stable, uh, and she knows that both her parents love and provide for her, and we've been able to surround her with positivity and support. And she's struggling. Mm -hmm. So then I start to think about the kids who are at home by themselves, and they don't have a mom and dad, or uh, they don't have um, a home uh, they don't have a stable income. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. And I quite honestly don't know how they're surviving right now. And their psychological condition is, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. I really am scared for them. Um, to the point, and I'm going to try to see if I can word this the right way. I don't want to diminish the severity of COVID. I don't want to, but I almost have this mindset right now where I don't really care what COVID does to me. I want more to be in the classroom with my kids Mm -hmm. more than I'm fearful of COVID because I'm more fearful of what's going on in their minds and in their hearts right now. And again, I'm not trying to diminish the, yeah. and I'm not trying to be irresponsible. I understand my, my spiritual and emotional and physical responsibility to my wife and my kids. And I'm not saying, hey, I'm going to run in there with no mask and no Purell and, you know, boycott, you know, out of protest, showering for a week, you know, yeah. and I'm going to, you know, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I want to get in the classroom, whether it's virtually or in person. I obviously prefer in person, but I can promise, you know, the community that if it's virtual, it's going to be the best virtual classroom ever. And we're going to focus on relationships and I'm going to meet with those kids nonstop just because they, they need it. Mm-hmm. Kids need it. And, and I'm dealing with high school kids, you know, I mean, I think about some of these younger elementary kids um, who are missing foundational periods of their life. Yeah. I'm pretty worried about them. Yeah. Like my kids, uh, those of you who, who may not know, I, I've got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old. So, like, th- their life has, hasn't has really been interrupted that much because we have a stable house. Uh, in first grade, I can still teach my kid if I need to, so yeah. my wife. Mm-hmm. And we have shown, we've done our best to show very little anxiety around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, to me, that age group should be completely almost protected from this. Yeah. Um, and parents should try to establish as much normalcy as possible, like, mm-hmm. in their lives. But they're at the age where they, they they just don't understand really what's going on in society, which is a good thing, I yeah. think, for yeah. them. Uh, I, I think if you're a parent and you're <laughs> if you're causing anxiety in their life, um, I, I could understand maybe it's because you're anxious. But like I think it's our job as parents to protect yeah. them. Absolutely. Um, so, but yeah, all that wow. to say is like I feel like maybe once you get in the third, fourth, and up. Maybe I can see them being more anxious or dealing with these things differently yeah. than my the the group that's in in my age mm-hmm. or my kids' age group. I guess I would say. Yeah. Oh, uh, for sure. Kudos to you and your wife for being such incredible parents. And uh, it's hard to do because 
um, it, it just takes such discipline to suppress your anxiety. Uh, you know, today's proverb, uh, Proverbs 12, whatever, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. I can honestly tell you since March 13th, Friday the 13th is when we got, that was my last day, yeah. you know, in the classroom. Um, there have been more periods since March till now where anxiety has weighed me down. Yeah. I mean, like a literal pressure on my chest yeah. where I felt hard. It was hard to breathe. Yeah. And I've had to lean heavy on my faith. I've had to lean heavy on my wife. I've had to lean heavy on physical exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had to lean heavy on people in my life uh, uh, that have surrounded me um, and, and they're holding me accountable. I've had to lean heavy. And um, I don't know where I'd be if I didn't have that. Yeah. And to think about the kid who's sitting at home and it, and doesn't have that, has just free access, man. Just, you know, here, here's your phone. Here's your Xbox. Just go do what you need to do. And, you know, it's not his or her fault that they're heading down that trail. I mean, you know, some people just don't know how to cope with it. You, you know, yeah. you and I, we have scripture. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no better medicine the, the to Holy what we're Spirit. doing. Yeah. Right. Like, the Holy yeah. Spirit. Yeah. Uh, guiding us, but you know when you take faith out of the element and you have kids who are lost man they're i mean we're gonna be the first day of school can't come soon enough, yeah, every day that every second that goes by, I feel like it's a second lost mm-hmm. yeah. And, I, and to be clear, like my wife and I, we've dealt with anxiety ourselves, oh, no. so yeah. it's not we haven't been anxious. I, that would be a lie. Uh, but, but we've. I'd be like, all right, we bottle don't, that up and sell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but we've been very intentional. Like, obviously, it's probably poured into maybe some ways we disciplined our children or haven't disciplined <laughs> our children through over the past six months or something. Uh, but, but like, as far like they don't know, they don't see us fearing the virus yeah. or. Like they don't hear us talking about like the world is falling apart, right? If that, and they're and they're not affected by it right. because of their age group. Like we can keep them kind of insulated from it a yeah. little bit because of just the age that they are. But once you get in, I say once that child hits maybe third, fourth, fifth grade, and middle school and beyond, certainly what they experience, yeah, have to experience almost is so much different yeah. than a, a kid who just graduated kindergarten last year. Yeah. Right. Um, or younger than them. So I, uh, those those age groups have been on my mind much more than like my kids yeah. or people with kids my age. Not that like especially those who maybe don't have food, her parents have been laid mm-hmm. off. That's a whole different issue. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so that's interesting to think about. So last thing, we got finished on something, something positive. Mm-hmm. What do you see educationally? Uh, uh, that will be positive coming out of all this. Oh man, how much time do we have left? Because I can just go for a, minutes, uh, a couple, minutes, couple minutes. I'm going to try to summarize We're this. In an hour, so. so I, I got this buddy. Uh, I got this buddy down in Texas. Uh, he is. Um, he'll probably listen to this. So I'll just say he's slightly older than me. Uh, he looks younger than me, but he's slightly older. Uh, and he was in a webinar the other day with another guy who's his name is Hal Bowman. This guy's name is Jeff Springer. Another guy's name Hal Bowman. He's he runs Teach Like a Rockstar. And this dude is like a rock star in my life. But the two of them were talking about education. And Jeff, uh, Dr. Springer, talked about how sitting in front of us every day, whether literally or virtually, is a victory garden. And he goes, if you think back to World War One, when there was all this rationing going on and Wilson was trying to get people to grow these victory gardens so that they would have more that they could contribute to the allies, right? Yeah. You want to you cultivate your victory garden. He goes, look at your classroom, look at your school like it's a victory garden. And, man, this little light bulb went off. And I love that, being a history teacher. You know, I'm ready to cultivate my victory garden. I I don't really care what it looks like. I don't care if the decision tonight is to go remote. If it's to go remote, then I've got my virtual victory garden. If it's in the hybrid, I've got the victory garden. And then a further extension of that, I've got a victory field, Mm -hmm. right? So I've got my classroom, and then I've got my the school building. And um, my goal is is to positively influence everyone I come in contact with. Uh, I will have many days where I'll fail, but I, I see the classroom evolving. I see it growing. Uh, it will never, ever be the same. Uh, but I, w- I was talking to some friends this morning. I'm like, listen, we're trailblazers. We're pioneers. 
Heck, some might even refer to us as the greatest generation of educators, you know, to, <laughs> you know, not to diminish yeah. the greatest generation. Yeah. But, man, we're going through a war right now. Yeah. And when we come out on the backside of this, uh, we might be known as the greatest generation. We're certainly pioneers. So what is it going to look like? I, I have no idea what it's going to look like because it changes every single day. But I will tell you that um, I'm excited for the adventure. Uh, there is a silver lining, and that is – as an educator, I get to be stretched and pulled, and I don't have the opportunity or chance to become comfortable and complacent. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to come out on the back. I've already, since the quarantine, I am a way better person now than I was when that started. I'm a way better father, a uh, way better husband, and a way better educator. Uh, and so I, I look at this time next year, and I can't wait to see what happens. You know, um, we're going to come through it. We're going to be fine. Uh, you know, education will look very different, but this time next year, I'm going to have all kinds of stories about kids I've been able to get to know, uh, kids that I've been able to value and love, and I'm going to be meeting with a whole new batch of kids down at Crimson Cup, uh, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. to just to find out what's going on. And um, so I'm excited about it. I think education is going to change for the better. I mean, we honestly, we got stuck. Education has been stuck. Mm. And we needed something to kind of kickstart some forward progressive thinking. And uh, yeah. we not only got a kickstart, we got a kick in the butt. You know, it's been amazing to see how this community has stepped forward and helped out our kids. I, I can't speak highly enough about Talmage and our administration. Uh, you know what? I'm like any other person. There are decisions that I question. There are things that I question. But I will tell you that our administrators have student safety uh, that's their number one priority, and they are 100% behind us in becoming the best teachers we can be. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's awesome. It's going to be an exciting year. It's going to be. It's going to have its challenges, yeah. and I covet your church's prayers, uh, not just for me, but for all educators. But um, but God's going to move. That's awesome. Well, we're going to end with that, Mark. Thanks uh, a ton for being here. Maybe we'll have you back once school gets started. Um, no matter how it starts <laughs> uh, and uh, get an update from you. But uh, thanks so much. Um, you're just uh, tons, tons of fun to talk to. You. And uh, like I said, somebody I look up to you and um, well, the feelings have, mutual brother have uh, appreciated your friendship and mentorship yeah. through the time that I've been here. So thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you. What an honor to be here.